Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name's Johnny, together with my wife Amy, we lead this church here in the centre of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. If we can help you in any way at all, please feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. Look, I think we can broadly divide humanity into two groups. That's what this psalm's all about, and I'm agreeing with that. I think we can broadly divide humanity into two groups, and those two groups are, on the one hand, people who really, really go in for New Year's Eve, right? You know, people who really go for it, people who, who, who know all the words to Auld Lang Syne, right, who stay up absolute minimum of 12.30, and who are dancing and doing all that, what is it, you hold hands with the next person around the back, whatever it is, doing all this at 12 o'clock, and you know, people who absolutely smash it, they love it, they're absolutely up for uh, a bit of the old Lang Syne business. Maybe, uh, maybe people who, if you're really up for it, you went to Hogmanay just to try something New Year's but a little bit different. You wanted to be part of it. And uh, if that is you, I have a picture of you actually uh, on uh, the screen. Here you are. There you are in the crowd. You're at Hogmanay. You're absolutely loving it. And uh, you went in the, by the way, you went for a dip the next day in the really cold river, paid 12 quid for the privilege. Uh, you can't see a, a lot of detail here, so I've actually got a, a close up of you. Uh, there you are. <laughs> You loved it. Look at you. You've got the kit on and everything at Hogmanay. Absolutely fantastic. You just love a bit of New Year's. That's the one group. The other group is, uh, I'm afraid, uh, where I reside. And in the other group, you just, this is another day. And actually, the last thing you want with four kids and a dog to walk early on is to go to bed late. Because if you go to bed at 12, you're still up at 6. And so that's less sleep. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, gosh, sleep's everything, isn't it? And uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're sort of more of a skeptic when it comes to New Year. That's the second group. Now, I'm not much of a New Year celebration guy. But I do actually really value the turning over of the year. I actually really do believe and massively go in for the value of a new year. And, and I suppose the reset, the spiritual, some, for some of us, the physical reset, the, the, the opportunity that's given by entering into a new year. And in this case, as many have commented, a new decade. And I love to think at the end of one year, in the beginning of a new year, uh, what I would like the new year to hold. And I, and I look across my life, I do something of an audit, and it includes every part of my life, and particularly think about what my, I want my life with God, my prayer life, uh, to look like. And uh, this particular year, I've chosen to do something I haven't done for a few years, and that's to read the Bible in a year. I'm using this particular plan to do it. And uh, because of that, I had the gift of reading Psalm 1 on January the 1st. And I want to address and look into this psalm together today, because I think what it's giving us, if we would take the advice of the psalmist, is... um, Information, but more than information, wisdom, generational, generation-tested wisdom that uh, can lead us to a life of greater fullness. And isn't that what all of us are looking for? 
in this new year. The question the psalm is asking is, what does it mean to live well? Or uh, to reframe it, how can we be sure that we can have a happy new year? Here's what we read in the psalm. Lest, let me find it in my Bible, lest I run out. Of technology. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But his delight, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Now let's just start there. Blessed is the one. Now, uh, the Actually, a better translation, the NIV doesn't really do it justice here, a better translation of this word would actually be happy. There are other words that could be used if the psalmist wanted to say blessed, but the the word here is actually more like happy. So we really do have a new New Year theme here. The psalmist is asking, how is it that we can be happy people? Now, what I don't mean is that sort of shallow, contemporary happiness, which has to do with a, a smile all the time. This isn't about being smiley people. That's not what the Bible means when it talks about happiness. To be, to, to be somebody who's happy in a biblical sense is to be somebody who experiences the, the presence of God, the deep and rich contentment and joy that comes with connection to God in each and every circumstance. Happiness is not skin deep, it's soul deep. It's not something that's Defined or described by circumstances, it's something that emerges from deep within, from the the wells of one's soul. And the psalmist is asking, look, how can we be happy? Well, happy is the one who. And what's interesting is what follows is three negative statements. Happy is the one who, well, does not do Three different things. We don't maybe expect that. Maybe we want positive statements. Just give me some good advice. But the advice is to steer clear of three different ways of living, which actually all amount to one way of living. And here's what we read. Is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Let's just look at this uh, to begin with. Happy are those who do not Walk in step with the wicked. Happy are those who do not stand in the way the sinners take. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Happy those who do not walk in step with the wicked. That what the psalmist is saying by giving three pieces of advice is that we can, to a great extent, control our happiness, determine our happiness. Happiness in this sense, in this uh, inner sense is not something which is accidental. Happiness is not a consequence of circumstances around you, of accidents of your fate. It isn't a consequence of what's going on in your life at any given point. It's actually something which you can take and have a significant influence in. Your level of happiness, uh, not necessarily saying you can be all the time completely in control of it. That would be superhuman perhaps. But actually as human beings, we can influence the level of happiness that we're experiencing. Actually, uh, just as a a brief aside, I came across this morning uh, in the Times uh, an article by Chris Evans. Many of you know of Chris Evans. He 
used to be a DJ and Radio 2. He's a famous uh, figure for lots of different reasons. I really, really like Chris Evans. He's one of my absolute favorite sort of public figures. Uh, but he's, it's interesting. He's, he's describing a journey that he's been taking toward happiness. And some of the advice he gives is really, really good. And some of it may be slightly less helpful, I would say. But he describes this journey. He says, uh, for a while I went a little potty. This is where, who can, who can agree? Who can, who's standing with Chris saying, look, for a while I went a little potty? Right, absolutely. This is when I realized I needed to do some work on myself in order to stand any chance of getting back to being a half-useful human being. I love that. I needed to do some work on myself. Do you know, that is the spiritual life, isn't it? We're sitting in this room, by the way. You should at least be sitting in this room because you actually come to a point of saying, do you know what? I need to do some work on myself. I'm not where I need to be. And I'm not actually where I could be. I've hoped for a better future for my own life, for the lives of those around me. I could be a better father if I was more patient. If I learned a little bit more patience, I'd be more effective with my kids. Because actually screaming at them isn't working. Screaming at or kicking the dog isn't working. I need to do some inner work on myself. Chris Evans did that. To that end, and this is perhaps where you and I might depart from Chris. To that end, I bought a farm. And then I bought another. I don't know if he was watching The Good Life or something else. Two far- That's a joke for the older ones. Two farms in, my life still wasn't working. So I tried reading books, and so that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, what Chris began with is, is to, to, if you like, to polish the outside of the cup, to begin with the externals. What I need is a farm. Now, this guy has one of the most extensive uh, uh, car collections in the nation, actually. So he's, he's practiced sort of cleaning the outside of the cup, looking to fill the void that he was feeling with external things. But then he said, look, that didn't work. The farms didn't work. I tried being a petrol head. I tried being a, I don't know, manure head? Is that a thing? <laughs> no. Fifteen years later, the farms have gone, and I think I may be getting somewhere. Here's a smidgen of what I've learned. Now, I, I'm, I'm, not trying to, um, I'm not trying to diminish uh, what Chris, Chris Evans' journey. There is some stuff in here maybe we would take a slightly different view on, but he says what you're looking for, these are some of his learnings, what you're looking for is where you're looking from. Once you realize nothing is lacking, the whole world belongs to you. Everything you really want, you already have. We do not need to find or chase love. We are love, or we might say we are loved. To be present or not to be present, that is the question. Here's here's where I slightly get off the train. There is no such thing as wrong or right or good or evil. It's purely thinking that makes it so. We say, and this, uh, this, again, I haven't yet understood But we say, I am not myself today, but we never say, myself is not my I today. So I'll leave you for the rest of the uh, sermon to contemplate that one. (laughs) I think what this describes, though, is this deep longing, this deep longing that we see in the culture, it's around us, for happiness. And actually what Chris Evans does, I think, is lead us to that point where we say, actually, I can, I can be a part of the solution I'm not just somebody who's sort of waiting for God to zap me. By the way, if you are waiting for God to zap you to make you happy, you are living in a state of spiritual and psychological immaturity. Maturity begins when we say, no, I have responsibility. I have agency. 
I can be part of the solution. With God's help, under God, I can be part of the solution. And that's what the psalmist is doing. And he says, back to the psalm, don't walk in step with the wicked. Walk in, don't walk in step with the wicked. Okay, what is this about? What does it mean to walk in step with the wicked? I think what the psalmist is saying is, take care of who you're following. Take care of who it is that you're following. We live in an age uh, where we, we, the, the notion of following is no less real to us than it was to the early disciples. To be a disciple was to be a follower. Actually, today we understand the language of followership, don't we? It's all, it's written across uh, digital social media platforms. And we do, to a large degree, I think, dis- define and describe ourselves by who we're following. That may be people. Uh, some of you have come across this year for the first time a thing called social media influencers. These are people whose actual job is to be an influence on social media, and they get paid for it. Unbelievable. And some of you only came across it when people that you didn't know started to be on Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> well, who were they? What's a social media influencer? So we're, co- we're, we're cognizant. We're, we know that actually uh, we're cognizant of the idea of who we follow. But maybe, uh, maybe it's brands that you follow. Maybe it's not like people. It's, it's things. I remember a, a conversation uh, with some Christian friends a few years ago where they were sort of extolling the virtues of one particular brand of clothing and saying, I could never buy any other trainers other than this pair of trains. And I thought to myself, you've got to be joking. I, do you really think that? Like, what, a, what a small way to live. But we do. We follow. We collapse our lives into these smaller narratives, these smaller frames. One of the most powerful ways that we can take ownership of our state of being, our state of mind, is by watching closely who we're following. Watching closely what goes into our minds, what goes into our souls. And that will be described and defined by who we're following. By what it is we're looking at and who it is we're aiming at. And this is an everyday thing. This is something we need to be aware of in the morning when we wake up. And it's about the newspapers we're reading. It's about where we're consuming all kinds of news and data It is about social media. It is about friendship. Who is it that you're following? Who is it that you're allowing into your life to have an influence on the way that you think? Can I suggest, along with the psalmist, I believe, that you would be much happier this year if you can find the holiest person you know, the most joy-filled, spirit-filled individual you know, And spend as much time with them this year as they can possibly bear. (laughs) If you do that, you will be happier. If you spend all your... uh, Excuse my French in advance, but if you spend all of your year with a miserable sod, (laughs) you will probably be more miserable. Who are you plugging into? If you're, are you attending church once a month? Come more often. There's joy in this place. Come 
There's joy, there's life here, isn't there? Yeah. You may not be, you know, may not be certain what it's about yet, but just get more plugged in here. If you're just coming on Sundays, we'll get plugged into a team. Like meet some of these people. Serve here. Become part of a hub. Make this part of your life. Make it part of who you are. And by far the most important person that you could be allowing into your life to have an influence on you this year is Jesus. Spend time with him. Make it part of your day. Begin the day with him. End the day with him. Pray to him at midday. Be in his presence. There's this thing, this disturbing thing that happens to me every Sunday morning. And it's often just as I'm about to preach. My phone gives me a report and it's called a screen time report. Oh, and it's devastating. And it tells me how much time I've been spending looking at this thing. And what disturbs me often is that my screen time outweighs my prayer time. And I wonder, I wonder why I'm not experiencing more of the life of the kingdom. I wonder why I'm not happier, more buoyant in his presence. I wonder why my faith levels aren't where I want them to be. Do not walk in step with the wicked. Do not, the psalmist says, do not stand in the way that sinners take. This is about where you're planted, where your feet are set. What do you stand for? What is it that you stand for? What are your values? What are the values you're living by? Are you values? Two ways to live. Are you valuing the things that, that sinners, pagans, people who don't follow God value? Or are you valuing the things that Christ values? Do you value primarily, above all other things, do you value financial security? Do you value career? Do you value looks? Do you value intelligence? Now, those things aren't bad in of themselves, but they're never to be ultimate in our lives. Or do you value the things of God? Do you value the journey with Jesus? Do you value the peace that only he can bring? Do you value generosity? Do you value kindness and grace and mercy? How might this be manifest to us? Here's the question. Do your stated values match up with the values that we might see if we took an audit of your life? If I looked at how your money was spent, how your time was spent, how you, what you praise, would I see that matching up with the values that you state, that you believe? Where are we standing? What is our standing? I mentioned this book that I've been reading. It's called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. I'm going to be talking about it a lot, I'm sure, in coming weeks, as I said. And, and it basically makes an argument. And the argument is that in, the period, uh, in, in a period in the early church of around 10 years, the church grew by around 40%. Now, scholars disagree on exactly the numbers, but there was rampant growth in the church. Absolutely incredible growth in the church. 
And in this time, the church talked nothing about mission. At least didn't write anything about mission. There weren't any, as far as anyone can tell from what documents now exist to us, there weren't any uh, patterns for evangelism. I'm going to shock you here. The Alpha Course hadn't been invented. And at this point, nobody sought to try. In fact, if you weren't a Christian, you weren't allowed to come to Christian worship. If you were training to be a Christian, training for baptism, you could come to most of it, but you couldn't stay for the Eucharist until you'd gone through what could often be a two-year period in preparation for baptism. And it was that, it was something to do with the attractiveness of the church that made it popular. It wasn't missional strategies. It wasn't the latest buzzwords. It wasn't, dare I say it, Christian celebrities. It was a compelling church. It was a church that believed what they said they believed, that were willing to stand for it, and many of them stood for it to their death. There are stories from the early church of men and women from different strata of societies. The only thing that bound them together was the fact that they confessed Christ, dying, holding hands, having, having kissed each other, fearless in the Colosseum. Because of their faith in Christ. Christians, the reason they were compelling is because they lived what they believed. They lived better lives. They died better deaths. They stood for something. What are you standing for? What do you stand for? What do you love? See, I think the greatest problem we face in the church is not that we've necessarily shifted our values. That's, that certainly has happened in some places, but I think if you sort of ask most churches, do you believe the creeds or can you sign up to the creeds, the things that the church throughout history have said that are, are the arbiters of orthodoxy, most Christians would say yes. But I think the difference between us and the early church is whether or not we're willing to stand and live for the values that we believe. Or are we not? Tempted, drawn into lives of lesser commitment to Christ, where Christ becomes an option on the menu of life, an option on the menu of a life that works pretty well without him, and not the only meal on the menu. Now, one of the things I, I felt the spirit lay in my heart today, and I, I can't tell you how much it's not quite true, but I'm not about to address what I'm about to say with any relish, just so you know. But I don't know whether it's the 29th or the 30th, I've just woken up and I just felt the Lord say, you need to speak into this. This isn't the only thing we're going to say as a church, but it is something I want to say. And I believe that the Spirit of God wants to address this in us because he wants to give us a greater vision of him. And that is to do with how we are dealing with holiness, that is uh, what I'm talking about particularly in the area of uh, what the Bible calls fornication. It comes from a, a Greek word, porneia. And porneia has to do with, it's a catch-all term for basically any sexual activity whatsoever outside uh, marriage. And I just believe that there's, there's something here that's fundamentally holding the church in its grip. It is an incredibly powerful spiritual battle going on in many believers' lives around their relationship 
to their sexuality and to particularly to pornea and specifically to pornography. I'm not here this morning to shame anyone. I speak with all gentleness. And I know from conversations with people, I, I know from my own experience in part, that this stuff is immensely powerful and you can't just click your fingers and get out of it. But what I'm saying this morning is that we cannot allow ourselves to become ensnared by what is a heinous evil in our culture and is gripping the lives of people and destroying the spiritual vigor and vitality of an entire generation. It is not okay. And it has to stop. And I'm not telling you that to guilt you or to shame you. I'm calling you. I'm calling you to share your struggles. If you are struggling, man or woman, young or old, I'm calling you to share that with somebody else and begin the journey of healing and restoration. Because I believe that's what God wants for his church in these days. Where are we standing? What is our standing? Finally, uh, where are we sitting? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, or sit uh, in the company of the righteous. You're going to have to uh, do this for me. I think I've. My computer hath frozen. <laughs> Where are you settled down? Now, I think what you see as you look through uh, these three do nots is actually a sequential movement from walking to standing to sitting. And by far the most, most dangerous posture that's described here is this final posture of being seated. Seated in the company of scoffers or mockers. And the word here for mockers or scoffer is a lutz. And it speaks of somebody who has a settled attitude of opposition and mockery to all that is good and all that is of God. We might say the cynic, a fool. In the modern Hebrew, the word for clown, letzan in Hebrew, is derived from this word, lutz. Uh, to be a, a lutz is to be a clown. Here's what one commentator said. Proud, sneering, disrupting, and deriding. The let's is a master of heckling. He ridicules and pokes fun at all that is good and holy. He is a debunker, an iconoclast, a troublemaker. He ignites controversy, insults others, and acts haughtily. He knows all the answers. He turns his back to wisdom. He hates correction. What do you mean that sounds like me? In truth, I'm sure there isn't a Lutz in the place, but I have been one. I have been one. I have been that person. I've been the person who turns their back to wisdom. I've been the person who tries to tear down good wherever I see it. And let me tell you this, if you get into that place, nothing seems good. If you go around trying to explain away the significance of everything, you end up living a life where nothing seems good significant, where nothing seems to matter. And the way back, there is a way back from that place, but it's a hard road back, and I've walked it. And the only way back 
to a life of happiness in the sense that we're using it is deep repentance. But it's not just negative examples that are being used. Positive examples as well. He says this, and on that put, he says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Two things really quickly. Look at this imagery of delight. Yes, we can celebrate after all. It's not just negative news. There is delight to be had. And the happy person, the blessed life is a life which is enriched by delight. You see this, don't you, in children? Christmas morning, delight, wonder, wow. It was really funny. Christmas morning, for those of you who were here, you know this. But we allowed our, our son... Uh, Joseph to open, we got him a, an Xbox for his Christmas and his birthday. Judge me, if you will, but I've got to say, FIFA has been amazing. A revelation uh, since we got it. And, but before, before Christmas morning, Joseph had only opened the controller. And he came to church. Jamie asked, so kids, what have you got? And Joseph said, I've got an Xbox controller. <laughs> and we'd, so I'd sort of done a bit of kidology. I told him that that was so when he went to his friend's house and but he could use his Xbox controller. So harsh. <laughs> but, and here's the point, the delight, the delight he experienced, the wonder. What about if we were like that with not Xbox controls, but the law of the Lord? I gave him the Xbox in the end. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. What if we were delighted? Yes, I did just skip. What if we were delighted by the law of the Lord, God's way, God's rules, God's path? If when we came upon something in this scripture that we couldn't get our head or our heart around initially, we said, well, do you know what? This has to be for my good. Because his way is my delight. And I'm going to delight myself in his way until I'm delighted with his way. Delight is the opposite of cynicism. It's to be pleased with, to bend toward, to favor, to like, to desire. Delight yourself. If you want to be happy, delight yourself in God's ways. And meditate, chew on, savor, ponder, imagine, speak, study, talk, utter. Meditate on him, who he is, what he says, his genius, his magnificence, his creativity, his wonder, his glory, his fame, his beauty. Spend this year just going nuts on him. Ponder him every moment of every day. Find ways to ponder him you've not yet imagined. Write truths about him on every mirror, on every surface you can find in your house. Tattoo his name in henna, if you don't want a permanent one, on your wrist. So you never forget who he is. Choose him as your guide. And if you do, the psalmist says, you will find three things. Firstly, you will be satisfied. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. You're going to be rooted close to water. Your spiritual thirst, the thirst that we share every human being with Chris Evans and every other person, your spiritual thirst will be satisfied because you will be rooted near water. And in and out of season, in joy and in grief, through smiles and in lament, you will experience the presence of God, which is the living water. 
You will be satisfied. You will be fruitful. Your tree, as it says in the psalm, will yield fruit in season. As a consequence of the satisfaction of the water flowing in your life, fruit will emerge from your life. And by the way, there is no greater satisfaction than knowing yourself to be fruitful in God. As you start to see the fruit of the Spirit emerging in your life, greater joy, greater patience, Lord, let it be so in my life. As you start to see greater patience emerge, greater generosity, greater love, greater faithfulness, greater gentleness, greater self-control. So then you understand that you're doing and living the very way and in the, in the very way that God intended you. That is the happy life. A fruitful life is the happy life. That is the life of significance. And finally, you will be resilient. So much talk about resilience and it's important. How can we be more resilient? Well, here's how. Don't follow the path of the wicked. Don't stand in the way that Sinners tread. Don't sit in the seat of mockers. Because if you plant yourself by the stream of water, you will be resilient. Your leaf will not wither. You're not going to be desiccated. You're going to be filled up with the goodness of God and you will not lose your spiritual vigor. doesn't say you won't face adversity. It doesn't say you won't suffer. It does say, in and through all of it, you will be filled with him. So what? As the midday alarm in the drum section goes off. One thing we can't escape in Psalm 1 is the note of warning. The note, even dare I say it, of judgment. Now in my Bible plan, just this morning, I happened to read Matthew 3. I don't always prepare this late, but it felt like the Lord was speaking this. And, and in Matthew 3, John the Baptist comes to announce the kingdom of God in preparation for Jesus. The message is given, the repent, the kingdom of God has come near. And he tells the Israelites of the day that they need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Elsewhere in Acts, Peter preaches a sermon to the people of Israel after the resurrection of Christ, and he says this, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing, and in the original Greek it says, may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, Jesus. Repent in preparation for the move of God. And I'm here to tell you this morning, there is going to be no rain without repentance. We are, we are crying out for a move of God, crying out for the, what John describes as the Spirit of God through the Messiah to bring fire, that is empowerment, that is uh, power for all that God wants, and that's what we're here for. We want to see that let loose in our city for God's kingdom to come. It's not going to come unless there's first a season of preparation, unless there's first a season of repentance, because all growth comes first with repentance. 
And that means turning around. It means facing Jesus. It means reordering our steps and our priorities. It means listening to the words of this psalm and taking them seriously in our own lives. For you, it might mean beginning to walk in step with a different crowd. For you, it might mean making a stand for something you've never been courageous enough to stand for before. In your friendship group, in your family, in your workplace. For you, it might be taking a seat in a different seat. Not sitting any longer in the seat of scoffers, but standing with the company of the righteous. Using your mouth and your heart and your life and your body for delight, for meditation. And if you do, you'll be satisfied this year. You'll be fruitful this year. And you'll become more resilient. Why don't we stand? Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed you. If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and want to connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them one, few, company, and many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did, both individually and in our lives together, so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening.